0: hello felicity nelson here the following is an episode that we ran on our new show for gps called the tea room this show launched earlier this year and it's been a really exciting ride it's hosted by francine crimins and it runs twice weekly we came up with the idea of the tea room maybe a year ago And we thought the name was a nice way to capture the mood of the show, which is all about sitting down and having a chat about what's happening in terms of clinical news, what's happening in political news. What are GPs talking about in the tea rooms over a cup of coffee? So Frankie basically cherry-picks the top stories of the week, brings some experts on the show. She's chatting to a lot of in-house reporters who are really experts in what's happening. So if you'd like to check it out, you can find it on Spotify or iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts.
1: From the Medical Republic, I'm Francine Crimmins. This is The Tea Room. As you know, we aren't just a magazine for GPs. Our publishing company also offers a few different magazines for the different specialties as well. Recently on the show, we delved into some of our oncology reporting in Oncology Republic. But today we're going to have a look into the respiratory space and inside the pages of our magazine, Allergy and Respiratory. Felicity, you have been looking after this magazine and I believe that one has just hit the shelves? Yeah, that's right. So we just put this one to bed, um,
0: polishing up the, the last pages on Friday last week. So yeah, it's a really good magazine to subscribe to actually if you've got an interest in asthma, COPD, cystic fibrosis, lung cancer, allergies. It is geared towards specialists, but there's some things in there that GPs I think would find quite interesting. Uh, Yeah, so it's a print publication, but we also do an e-newsletter every fortnight. So if you're interested in signing up, just go to puffandstuff.com.au and you can read some more.
1: So the story that caught my eye on the front page for this edition was about how COVID-19 is affecting people with asthma. Could you tell us a little bit about that?
0: Yeah, so we saw a lot of conditions worsen during the pandemic last year, including things like fibromyalgia and mental health issues, obviously, uh, depression, anxiety, but some conditions actually got a lot better, which is interesting, and asthma was one of them. So I spotted this as an editorial published in Thorax in March, uh, which was tracking this trend in improved symptoms in people with asthma overseas. So this pointed to a study across Scotland and Wales which showed a 36% reduction in emergency visits due to uh, asthma following the lockdowns. Uh, And then it also turned to another English study which showed that there was a big reduction in severe exacerbations managed in primary care uh, with oral corticosteroids following the lockdowns. But this study showed that there was no significant reduction in these kinds of uh, flare-ups requiring hospital care. So this was also seen in other countries. So there was a study from South Korea that showed that uh, people were not turning up to the hospital as much during the pandemic for things like asthma, COPD, influenza and pneumonia. But interestingly, they were still going to the hospital at the same rate for other conditions. So what the authors suggested this was showing was that it wasn't just that people with asthma had decided to avoid the hospitals, even though they were still getting severe asthma. What they were doing was showing that people were getting less asthma symptoms during the pandemic. So the question is why, you know, why would people with asthma doing a lot better? <laughs> um, and so I actually turned to some people in Australia to, you know, find out what was going on. Uh, Professor Helen Riddell uh, at the Woolcock Institute was quite helpful. Um, and she said that she'd seen this anecdotally amongst her patients. Um, and she said, a lot of my patients have said 2020 was the best year ever for their asthma. Also quite an interesting trend. And she said it was probably an effect that was being driven by the decrease in respiratory infections in the community. So things like mask wearing, hand washing, physical distancing, reduce the rates of diseases like colds, flu. And these types of things are actually a really big deal if you have asthma because they tend to cause flare ups. It's just quite difficult if you have influenza plus asthma, you tend to get worse asthma, basically. So that's what was protecting people, according to her. And We sort of saw the same thing in New South Wales. So there was evidence of a reduction in the circulation of a lot of these respiratory viruses. Influenza was at historically low presentations last year. And also things like uh, pneumonia
1: and bronchitis were at record lows. That is fascinating. I have a million questions, but I'll try and keep it brief, Felicity. So was it that there was something in their change of lifestyle that might have had an impact on
0: their illness as well? Yeah, so what they were saying in this paper in Thorax was that uh, people are a lot more health conscious, which makes sense. Um, and they were also worried about their medications. Um, so they didn't say this in the paper, but I imagine during a pandemic, one of the things we were concerned about was access to medications and shortages. So a and lot people of people rushed the shops at the start. Yeah, they all went to the chemist and said, I need to bulk buy my asthma medication, which meant, of course, they were like, oh, yeah, maybe I should take this. <laughs> um, so yeah, basically it was people being more health conscious Um, and there was a study in the U.S. that showed uh, that 29% of people with long-term conditions took anticipatory action to obtain prescription medications at the start of the pandemic. So
1: people were actually responding to this. And it makes sense because the earliest reporting of COVID, especially once we're seeing what was happening in New York, the narrative was really if you have a chronic illness you will be hardest hit and you are most at danger of this and of course now we know that the entire disease is terrible and you don't know how it's going to hit you even if you are healthier and younger you can get things like long COVID but at the very start people with chronic diseases and things like asthma they were most worried so it makes sense that they were taking a precautionary approach.
0: Yeah and that's one of the problems we have with asthma is that people particularly if they have more mild symptoms don't generally adhere to the medication regimes it's very hard to remember to take a preventer like a puff from your preventer inhaler every day if you don't have any symptoms a lot of people
1: just forget so yeah it would be an interesting study to see medication adherence during the lockdown and see if uh... i guess you've got nothing else to do as well so it's like all
0: right stick to a routine yeah and this trend was noted by the global group which is the global initiative for asthma gina in their new strategy document for 2021, they, they noted that asthma symptoms improved during the pandemic. So it's something that's,
1: that's obviously happened across the whole world. And speaking of that document that Gina has put out, what does that contain and what should GPs know about it?
0: So GPs would probably already know that there was a... What's being described as a big shift in thinking uh, last year around how to treat mild asthma in particular So this was brought through in 2019 by Gina, and then it was picked up by the Asthma Council of Australia in their handbook. So basically what's new is that it's now recommended that patients with mild asthma can be prescribed a new option, which is as needed, budesimide ferronomol. So this is usually described as the red inhaler, as opposed to the blue inhaler, which is what people use to talk about Ventolin uh, and the PBS-listed option is AstraZeneca's Simbacort Inhaler.
1: And that's a dual inhaler?
0: That's right, yeah. So it's got a reliever and a preventer medication in one. And so the idea is that instead of taking this every single day, if you've got mild asthma, you just take it when you have symptoms. And that covers you for the prevention effect, so it reduces the inflammation that causes asthma, as well as taking away your symptoms and so this is a little easier for people who aren't going to take it every day anyway because they forget or they're just not interested in doing it. And it also means that people have the option of not carrying around two different inhalers at all times. They, don't, they can just carry around the one. Yep. And pharmacists say it's a bit easier for patients. Uh, so but these changes were
1: highly controversial, in the last couple of years.
0: Well, that's also controversial whether it was controversial and it's also controversial whether it was a big change. So okay. I spoke to about 10 experts and every single one of them had a very nuanced, different opinion and by the end of it, I just felt like I was in a bit of a field about what's actually going on. So, yeah, basically what this new strategy document from Gina is doing is trying to clarify what that change is and then really step it out so that GPs or... All respiratory physicians can have a really clear pathway of uh, how people go through escalations of medications. And there's a really good diagram, which is on page 59, which you should definitely check out if you don't check out anything else. that's published in our magazine. Uh, and it really does show that um, how you take people through the pathway of care. The one thing that you should note is this is only for people with mild asthma that's pre-existing, not people who have just started having mild asthma symptoms and it's just for adults as well.
1: So hopefully, even though the change probably wasn't communicated that well in the last couple of years, hopefully it will become a little less muddied if you read that story in allergy and respiratory. Well, they
0: did communicate it really well at the start. They had this great webinar and loads of people turned up, like a thousand people, and they announced all the changes and then COVID happened and every everyone was talking about COVID and patients only wanted to know about how is COVID going to affect me, What is should I have the vaccine, and then no one's having a conversation about this, this new pathway. So
1: that's kind of what happened, but hopefully they'll get back on track now. So with this shift in the guidelines and the red inhaler being the preferred treatment option for most patients with mild asthma, does that mean that more people are taking it now? Yeah, so I looked into that because um, you'd think that with all this publicity that
0: more people would be going on the red inhaler. Um, And when I spoke to a pharmacist, he said that patients were going in and saying, I want Simbacort, which is quite rare. Patients don't usually know the names of sort of these new medications. So I actually emailed the Department of Health and asked them for the PBS prescription numbers for Simbacort. Um, And so last year, between August and December, there were 877,000 PBS prescriptions. So when you compare this to the same period in 2019 there were 850,000. So you can see there's a slight step up there. And the year before that, there were 816,000. So we've got a bit of a trend, but it doesn't seem like the guidelines has really shifted it much recently.
1: Yeah, and we know that it can take years for people to change their treatment or to adopt a new way, especially when they have something chronic. And it's probably also really confusing for the patients who have been given a blue inhaler possibly since they were in their childhood and they're now being told that that possibly isn't the best way to manage their condition and that's also because there's been a lot of news stories recently about potential dangers from long-term use of the blue inhaler. I know it's very controversial and I don't want to start any fights out there but could we just talk about that for a second?
0: Yeah, so... What's happened with the blue inhaler has been really interesting. Um, GINA, which is the global group for asthma, uh, at the, around the time they made this recommendation about the red inhaler, they also said stop using the blue inhaler on its own for everyone. So they just said, no, nah, don't use it um, as, a, as a solo therapy. Uh, Australia didn't actually pick that up. We still recommend it for some a very small section of asthma patients. So that's people who only have symptoms like twice a month so yeah there's a bit of a split there in thinking um already
1: (laughs) and felicity why is ventolin now out of fashion is it out of fashion uh i mean that's yeah i think the main story here
0: is that it's not so much a battle between the red inhaler and the blue inhaler there's like a whole rainbow of other inhalers that people don't really think about so i think the biggest story is that it's just extremely complicated and that what asthma experts say is just go to your doctor and get them to walk you through it and find the best medication for you because it's it's not really a binary option there's a whole stream of other types of medication that can help as well so um yeah a lot of patients will cling on to that blue inhaler mostly because they can just go to the pharmacy and get it over the counter and they can't get around to going to see the gp but that the message main message is that is not a good practice. It's uh,
1: pretty dangerous to be just doing that. You really need to go see your GP. (laughs) And there's also, though, a little bit of controversy coming out of this, which is an argument that possibly we shouldn't be selling Ventolin over the counter if it isn't a first-line treatment recommendation anymore for the majority of people with asthma.
0: Well, there was a pharmacist I spoke to who said that we should be putting Simbacort over the counter. And there's also a couple of other drugs like that um, that have the reliever and the preventer together. They're not currently PBS listed for mild asthma, but um, they might be soon. So might be one day the patients with mild asthma can just get it over the counter. But asthma is one of those things where, yeah, you really want to get to your doctor. (laughs) You don't don't want to be self-medicating or self-diagnosing because often people have a very biased warped perception of just how bad their asthma is and it's only when a bushfire happens or there's pollution or something happens where they have very scary symptoms that they start to think oh maybe I should get to the doctor but um yeah asthma experts see the downsides of that and they they see the you know the fatalities and they really want to urge people to get to the
1: GP interesting I can't wait for you to keep following that and updating us Before we go, don't forget that you can follow or subscribe to The Tea Room right now by searching for the show on the podcast player of your choice. You'll then be notified when a new episode becomes available. Catch you next time.